0: Amen. Amen. What a great job. We're so glad that you're here. We'd like to welcome all those watching online. Uh, It's an honor to to be with you on this Easter Sunday. I heard a story recently about a a family that went on vacation to Israel. It was the husband and the wife, and they took the ever-present nagging mother-in-law. Now, uh, I don't have one of those, but maybe some of you could relate. And and they were over in Israel just enjoying everything, but something happened. Something very bad happened. She took ill, and the mother-in-law passed away, died right there in Israel. And they're thinking, well, what do we do? And and so the the husband went to the undertaker in Jerusalem and said, hey, my my mother-in-law has passed. I need help. And he said, well, you have two options here. You can ship her body back to Georgia for $5,000. Or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. So what do you think? So he started thinking about that. He said, now, that's quite a savings. He said, okay, I'm going to spend the $5,000. I'm going to ship her back to the States. He said, really? You're going to spend that much money when you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150? He said, well, he said, a long time ago, a man was buried there, here. And three days later, he rose from the dead and i can't take that chance well we are glad you're here today uh, we're celebrating the resurrection of jesus christ we're gathering with uh, with over 2.3 billion people across the planet 2.3 billion people who are recognizing and celebrating that jesus christ is alive amen that's right there's never been anyone like Jesus. He is the most loved and most revered person to ever walk the face of this earth. Jesus literally changed the world. Think about it this way. Every time you write a date, like April the 1st, 2018 A.D. A.D. is an abbreviation for a Latin word that means in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. We think about that 2018 years from what? From the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus changed the calendar. The calendar. He changed the calendar, he changed the world. You can look around in this auditorium today and there are hundreds of people who would tell you that their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. One such person is Tommy Maddox. Listen to his story.
1: The first time I ever came to Stevens Creek was the Christmas service this past year. And I was in an extremely broken place. I had just spent a week in jail. Uh, the Wofford's talk me into staying with them and so that meant I had to spend Christmas with them and I my guilt and shame for where I was in my life was at a all-time high and then to come into what the Christmas service was was overwhelming in such a good way uh, I kept thinking I was crying on the inside but then When Kelly Wofford brought me a Kleenex, I went, oh man, everyone knows I'm crying. It's almost like I could feel God pulling at my skin. I was nine years old when I started using. I lost my first love, which was basketball because of addiction and what it did to my brain. It changed who I was personally. I lost scholarships. Uh, My family turned their back on me. And I lost a year and a half of my life to prison and even in the middle of addiction I told myself I didn't care I've lost a marriage over addiction and most recently I've lost to write to see my son by myself and when I think about everything that I've lost I just have to remember that it also is what brought me to everything I have now. I met Tommy through my ex-wife. She owned a hair salon and he was one of the clients. And the minute that he heard that I was good at basketball, he started recruiting me for Stevens Creek's basketball team. Uh, I don't really think it was a question. I think he told my ex-wife that I was gonna play on the team. I knew that I'd never truly been saved. I never really surrendered. I always told myself it wasn't possible for me, that I didn't deserve God's grace, that if God truly knew everything that I had done in my life, that His grace wasn't for me. Like, I didn't know if it was going to be this lightning bolt strike, and then everything was different. And so that's where my questions started and instead of answering the questions Tommy just told his story and in turn it answered a lot of questions I had I don't even know how to explain it's better than anything I've ever felt or received in life I definitely feel like it's my time to stand up and boldly declare that this is who I am and that God is how I got here it's changed me as a whole changed my relationship with my son And it changed how his relationship with God will be and hopefully will change many more people who have been suffering like I was to know that they can too have a relationship with God. And to me, that's everything.
0: Tommy was in a situation that seemed hopeless. I mean, his addiction to alcohol and and drugs took everything away from him. But God had a different plan for his life. And God led him here to Stevens Creek where he found a new life and a new hope. So many times we uh, see stories like Tommy and we, we relate to them just because we've been there. We've been there when we look at our own lives and we understand that life has not turned out like we thought it would turn out. And maybe that happened to you on the day that, uh, right, after you graduated from college, you spent four or five years trying to get that degree, and now you can't be hired in that field. And you say, well, I didn't sign up for this. I should be working by now. Or maybe it was that terrifying crisis in your life when your world became a series of hospital beds and IVs and insurance claims, and you think, I didn't plan on this. You had your life planned out. You were going to have the perfect house and the perfect spouse and you were going to have the perfect kids and the perfect job uh, and all of that, but it changed. Your life didn't turn out like you thought it would. You know, when we are young, we never think that we're going to get old. I mean, we think that it's not going to happen, but before long, old man wrinkle comes up and you get old. I mean, if you doubt that, just go home this afternoon and look at your high school yearbook. Whatever age you are, just go pull it out. I did that this past week. It's kind of scary. And so this is 1979. That's right. Uh, Peaches and Herb were singing uh, Reunited and it feels so good. This is me and Patty. And and the village people were doing the the YMCA, you know, something like that. Uh, That was 1979. Things change. Do you realize that when you hit 25, seriously, this is serious, your bones start to get brittle? I mean, if you're in 20 now, you only have five more good years, okay? Um, And and your skin starts to shrivel up. And then you look down at your hands and you say, oh my goodness, I have my parents' hands. You know, your weight begins to shift from the poles down to the equator. (laughs) Your hair stops growing where it's supposed to grow and then grows where no hair should ever grow. Yeah, that's happened. And then all of a sudden you, you say, how did it happen that way? And you feel kind of empty. It reminds me of that Easter card I saw a couple of weeks ago. This is kind of funny. I feel hollow inside. <laughs> Some of us can relate to that. We feel hollow inside. You know, what I, times, uh, you know what I call those times when we feel hollow inside, when we feel like that we've lost hope, that life didn't turn out like we planned? I call those the Saturday experiences of life. The Saturday experiences of life. you see, in the Easter story, Saturday is the day that it seems like hope is dead. The Easter story is a three-day story. We know about Good Friday. We know about that day because Jesus' followers abandoned him. We know that the a curtain in the temple was torn in two. We know they took Jesus and they nailed him to a cross, and then they put him in a tomb. We know about Friday. And then we know about Sunday. We know that when he came out of the grave. And we know that God turned a crucifixion into a resurrection. But what about Saturday? What about the day in between? Here's what we know about Saturday. In the last 2,000 years of history, there's only been one day in over 2,000 years of history, only one day... Where everyone on the planet thought that Jesus was dead. Only one day, and that was the Saturday of Holy Week in that first year uh, of Jesus' resurrection. That Saturday, what was going on that day? That was the day that the disciples were huddled around behind locked doors because they thought if they could do that to Jesus, then they could do that to us. And they were afraid. And rightly so, because the chief priests and the religious leaders—they were meeting with the Roman government, and they were at that point uh, making sure that they were going to seal the tomb so nobody could get in there to take the body away. It was Saturday. It was the day that they were scared. It was the day that they were angry. It was the day that they were confused. They were emotionally worn out because they had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had left their families. They had left their careers literally everything, they thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and that they were going to overthrow the Roman oppression. And when they looked up and they saw Jesus on that cross and they saw him breathe his last breath, their hopes and dreams died along with Jesus on that day. And after Jesus died, there's a man named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body in Luke chapter 23 and verse 53. There he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and he placed it in a tomb cut from the rock out of which no one had been laid. It was preparation day. And the Sabbath was about to begin. The Sabbath, what? The Sabbath is Saturday, Right. The seventh day, the Sabbath. It was preparation day. It was, and the Sabbath was about to start. It was a day that hope died. It was a day that God was silent. You know what I know? That God does some of His best work in hopeless situations you new to Stevens Creek, you can take your worship guide and there's some fill in the blanks you can follow along with me here. That's the first one. God does some of his best work in hopeless situations. It was Saturday. They were hopeless. God was silent. So what do you do when God is silent in your life? What do you do when you you're desperately wanting just some direction? You're desperately wanting God uh, to make things clear, but yet You pray and pray and nothing happens. And God is silent. Over the next few minutes, I want to share with you four things that I believe that you can do when God is silent. Here's the very first thing. I want you to remember that God is in control and God's silence is not God's absence. You need to remember that God is in control and God's silence is not God's absence. So many times we uh, equate that uh, God's silence is that means he's far far away from us, but that's not true. Could it be that God is working behind the scenes? That God is working to craft a scenario for your wife, uh, for your life and that you uh, he is planning uh, his your future. And so he's teaching us to trust him here's the thing we we don't know that and our life spins out of control and so if you're at a place right now where your life is spinning out of control i would just say to you give it over to the lord give your situation give that that particular situation over to god we talk about it a lot around here we talk about submitting to the lord we talk about surrender what does submission mean Submission is an invitation for someone else to lead. When you submit to authority, you're saying, I am inviting that authority to take the leadership in this situation. When we submit to Jesus, we're inviting him to take the leadership. So when our lives are spinning out of control, we submit to him. Because you see, when something is under God's control, it is never out of control. When something is under God's control, it is never out of control. And so many times we find ourselves in a situation where we say, Man, I just can't get out of this one. It may work for you, but it doesn't work for me. I am stuck here. I am stuck in this hole. Reminds me of the story I heard about a, a, a young man that was jogging and it got late and the sun was going down and he needed to get home. So he decided to cut through the cemetery to get home quicker. Well, he didn't realize that they were preparing for a funeral the next day and they had dug a grave. And so he's running and he falls into this grave and he immediately starts jumping and trying to climb out and and he couldn't get out and he starts screaming, help, 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 but nobody's in a cemetery late at night after dark. Come on now. And so he just realized, well, I got to wait till the morning. And so he got over in the corner and he dozed off. Sometime later, another jogger came through the cemetery, fell in the same hole. And this guy started jumping and this guy trying to get out. And all of a sudden, he felt a hand on his shoulder. And then he heard a voice saying, it's hopeless. You can't get out of here. But he did. Some of you feel like this situation is hopeless and you can't get out of it. But you can. You can. Because there is a power that is greater than yourself. It is the power of the Lord. I said there's four things that I want you to do when you are facing the silence of the Lord. Here's the second one. I want you to continue to trust in the Lord. For God is working even when you do not see or hear him. God is at work in your life even when you do not see or you do not hear Him. You know, some of the biggest moves God has made in my life has come after a period of spiritual dryness. When it seems like that God was not involved in my life and God was not doing anything in my life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to stay close and wait on Him. For silence is God's call for you to grow deeper the silence of god is that's his calling you to grow deeper in the faith it's calling you to trust him more that's what he's saying will you trust me in this situation will you trust me with this relationship will you trust me with this heartache will you trust me with this desire to be married will you trust me with your finances you see, God knows exactly who you need. God knows what you need. And God knows when you need it. God knows. God knows who you need. He knows what you need. And He knows the moment. He knows when you need it. Several months ago, Patty and I were struggling with a big decision we had to make. And it was one of the, probably one of the biggest decisions that we've made in our married life. And it was a very taxing um it was one of those decisions that it really kept us up at night i i I typically sleep like a baby and i'm telling you i would i tossed and turned and this was not for a few days but this was weeks and we were just trying all of our conversations circled around this we were looking at every different scenario and we just didn't know i mean we we cried out and we said what and we felt the silence of god on this but we felt this trouble on the inside. And we were at California Dream eating one night. And it, our conversations became repetitive. I mean, we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And finally, we went out in the parking lot. We sat in the car and we took out our phone. And we called a friend of ours, Jeff Peltier. Yeah, he's on staff at Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. And, and, and we just kind of explained the situation to Jeff. And he knew some of it. And this was what he said. And this is point three. He said, Marty, I want you to go back to the last time that you know God spoke to you about this situation. I want you to go back. Go back to the last time. When was it? When did you hear God speak? And it was several months prior to that. I said to him, I know, I know when it was. It was August the 22nd. It was during our 21 days of prayer. I can actually tell you it was at 340 in the afternoon when a door closed. A door of another opportunity closed. That's when I remember God speaking about this situation. He said, you need to go back to there. You need to go back and retrace your steps. When was the last time that you heard God speak to you? Has it been this past week? Has it been months like it was for me at that time? Or has it been years? When was the last time that you heard God speak to you? We need to go back. Because great moves of God are usually preceded by simple acts of obedience. Great moves of God are usually preceded by just simple acts. Just doing what you know to do. So many times we overcomplicate faith. We make it so much bigger in our minds than we can even grasp. And God is saying, just have a childlike faith. Just do the simple things. Just do the right thing. Just go back. I said, there's four things. And this really came out of that conversation with Jeff. The fourth one is this. I want you to stay close to people who you know are close to God. I want you to stay close to people. That's why we called him. We wanted to stay close to somebody who we knew was close to God. So many times we get in a situation where it seems like life is spinning out of control and God is silent and we push away. And we say, well, apparently that's not working and we run the other direction. That's not where you need to go. You need to get close to people who you know are close to God. I think about that Sabbath, that first Sabbath during Holy Week. I envision people sitting behind locked doors, but they were sitting probably around kitchen tables, maybe in a circle in the living room. And all those disciples, if you just think about what they had just witnessed, they had witnessed their, their Lord, their Savior, Jesus, being whipped and scourged and nailed to a cross. And so they were grief-stricken too. They were afraid, but they were confused and they were grief-stricken. You know how it is when you lose somebody close to you. That you gather in small groups because at those points you need one another. You need each other. And so that's what they were doing. They were getting close because they recognized they needed each other. When God is silent, I want to be around people who have gone through what I have gone or what I'm going through. I need their wisdom and I need their experience and I need their prayers. That Saturday, it seemed hopeless. That Saturday, it seemed hopeless that God was silent. But just around the corner, hope was rising you see, Easter is not a one-day story. it's not a two-day story, but Easter is a three-day story. Hope comes on the third day. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 28 and verse one. It says, "After the Sabbath at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other mother and the other Mary went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, this appearance of this angel, it was like lightning. And his clothes were white, white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of this angel that they shook and they became like dead men. They fainted as a result of this encounter. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified He is not here, but He is risen. Come see the place where He lay. And then go quickly, tell His disciples, He has risen from the dead. Three different times in Jesus' ministry, He told His followers that He would die and then come back. But no one could imagine that because they didn't think a comeback was even possible. See, the problem with third-day stories is that you don't know it is the third day until the third day. When it's Friday. When it's Saturday. As far as you know, deliverance is is never going to happen. Is it possible that what you're going through... Right now is a third day story. Is it possible that you are on day two of a third day story? Is it possible that you are on the brink of hope rising? You see, what we see is a setback. Maybe God set up for something better than we even imagined. In 1955, Billy Graham preached a crusade in Great Britain On his way back to the States, he stopped over in Toronto and spoke to the Empire Club. The Empire Club is a place where politicians and and cultural uh, folks would gather and discuss issues. And he was asked to speak. And while he was there, he told this story. He told this story about two men at a museum in Europe. And as they were going through this museum in Europe, they came across a painting of a chess match. And they were intrigued with that painting because one of those was a chess master. And they studied that and they looked at that painting and at the bottom of it, they said the title was Checkmate. The two characters in the painting, as you can see, one was an evil looking man. Like the devil himself. And then you've got the younger man, the ordinary guy. And they were studying that and one of the friends said, hey, I'm going to go look at the rest of the gallery. And the guy said, there's something here that I'm missing. This, This painting's intriguing to me. And he just studied it and he studied the board and he studied it some more. And after a while, his friend came back and said, what do you see there? He said, this is what I see. We've got to talk to the curator. We've got to talk to the artist. There's something wrong here. He's got to repaint the picture or he's got to change the name of the picture. Because when I look at it, that ordinary guy, the king still has one more move. The king has one more move. We go through the pages of the Old Testament and we see the story of Moses where he was called to set the children of Israel free from Egyptian slavery. And he goes to Pharaoh and he sets them free and they're headed toward the promised land. But there was a problem. They got to the Red Sea and could not get over it. And by that time, Pharaoh had sent his army to come and capture. And this is the largest army army of the world at that time. And they're chasing after Moses and the children of Israel. And so here they are, Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. Surely they're going to die right here. But the king has one more move. Moses raises up his staff, and at that moment, the Red Sea parts, and they're able to walk over on dry g- ground. Later on, we see a young boy named David who is standing in front of a Goliath, a nine-foot guy named Goliath. And just before that, he was talking with King Saul about fighting the uh, the giant. And King Saul said, "Hey, David, you need to wear my armor." And so he puts the king's armor on this on David. But here's the problem. The king wore a 52 long and David here is a 36 short. And it was just too big. He said, I can't do this. But he picked up a few stones and he went out there. And what we discovered is the king had one more move because he took a stone, David did. And he, he hurled it at the uh, Goliath and it hit him in the head and instantly he fell down we go on through the pages of the bible and we see another story a man named Daniel who was a young man who had a ardent faith that he, he was a man of prayer and he sought the Lord but there came a time when Darius the leader made a decree that nobody could pray to, to anyone except to Darius well Daniel was not going to allow the culture to change his conviction and so he continued to pray, and sure enough, as a result of those prayers, he was uh, arrested and he was thrown into a lion's den. The next morning, they gathered and said, Hey, Daniel, Daniel, are you still there? Can you hear us? He said, Yes, I am here. He said, The king has one more move. He sent an angel last night to shut the mouth of the lion. On Good Friday, they arrested Jesus. They tried him. They judged him. They whipped him. They mocked him. They beat him. And they nailed him to uh, a cross. Then they took his dead body and put it in a tomb. And they sealed the tomb. And they said, that's all, folks. It's over. Checkmate. It's the Sabbath. But they were wrong because the king had one more move. On Sunday morning, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He became the victor of the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you, the king has one more move. You may feel like you're down for the count, but your life is not over. You may feel like that everything is working against you. But I want to tell you about somebody who's working for you. And his name is Jesus. And he is here today. And he's calling your name. He's calling you to come. He says, come unto me all you labor and and, uh, heavy laden and I will give you rest. Come. Call on him. The Bible says you call on him and he will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to give you an opportunity to call on the Lord. With the faith, believing that God has one more move. And that move can be a life-changing move in your life. There's some of you that you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Today is your day. You've been pushing away, you've been pushing back. But today, God is knocking on the door of your heart and He's saying, come. On this Easter Sunday, 2018, I'm calling you to come. Some of you are watching online right now. God is speaking to you and calling you to take that step. You said, Marty, I take that step, but what do I do then? Talk to Him. It doesn't have to be a complicated prayer. Just be honest with Him. Maybe it's something as simple as saying, God, help me. God, save me. God, lead me. God, heal me. Sometimes it's the simple prayers that make all the difference. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer, but I believe it won't be a simple solution. I believe that God, when you open up your heart, that God is going to fill your heart with love and forgiveness and He's going to give you a power that is greater than yourself. But you've got to take that step. He is knocking. You've got to open the door and say, come on in, Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the leader of your life? Let's all pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we have. And it's my prayer that you would touch those that are watching online. those here in this auditorium. God, I know you know each one of us by name. And so God, let your voice be clear. And Father, for those that are willing to take that risk and take that step of faith, to pray a prayer of commitment, I ask God that you'd give them the courage to do so. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, forgive me. Say that, say, forgive me. I want you to say this. Say, make me into the kind of person that you would have me to be. I give you my life. Say this. I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my current life. And I trust you with my future. Save me. I receive your forgiveness. Now, fathers, they pray that prayer. I ask that you would do as only you can do. Now, I pray for the other families represented in this auditorium and those watching at home. I pray, God, that you'd give us strength. And, Father, for those that feel that you, your voice is silent, I ask, God, that you would open the door. I ask, God, that your presence would be strong. I ask, God, that you'd give them the answer when they need, when they need it. So come, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said...